host once again today, Larry Fedorik. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me back on City News 570 here on Kitchener Today. And we have a lot to talk about today, so I hope you can stick around for uh, a good part of the program. Uh, I'll tell you the one story we're especially watching today is uh, Dr. Kieran Moore. You've been hearing about it all morning, I'm sure, on City News 570, that Ontario's chief medical officer of health, uh, has not been making any public statements or uh, recommendations or anything of that nature for at least a month. And there was this question, well, where is he? What is he doing? And uh, the premier responded to that saying, of course, he's working hard. He's just not, you know, making statements and holding press conferences and these kinds of things. And I guess, sure. Uh, I mean, I mean, I assume they're all working very hard for our safety. So nevertheless, uh, and we've gone through this um, change, I guess, in our attitude, I think, out of partly out of fatigue. And it's, it's, it must be a new kind of fatigue because I tell you, this thing started in March of 2020, as we all know, mid-March 2020, when we sort of said, OK, we're going to take this seriously. This is a thing. And I, I think a lot of people were fatigued by May of 2020. Right. I mean, I, I don't mean to laugh about it, but just think about it. We were already by May of 2020. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's been two months. How long is this thing going to go? And, and we reached these various levels, but we kind of um, we, we kind of found it within ourselves to go again, to to cancel the uh, the parties and the weddings and to mask up and distance and do it all over again and all over again. Second wave, third wave, fourth wave, fifth wave. And this sixth wave, it's like. It's like society on mass said, yeah, we're done. No, we're done. Yeah, yeah. And and, and not because um, it, it's gone away or, or any of the variants are not as serious or as contagious. I don't know, just somehow we're done. And I understand that there are world problems that are major distractions for us that actually not only are distractions for us, but affect us directly. And through inflation and various other things. But it's just, don't you find that it's a little different this time? Whether you whether you are around KW or whether you are absorbing media from other parts of the world, you see it everywhere. It's just like, yeah, there's no COVID. There's just massive crowds. I was watching the Masters yesterday for a little bit, and it was like, and there's no mention of COVID or no evidence that, that there was ever a COVID. And I, I get it. I don't I don't want to watch the Masters to be reminded of my COVID protocols. That's not why I'm watching golf. But at the same time, I was like, wow, this is this is just like it's it's back to normal. And I guess for many people, we want to believe that it is. Uh, but yet here we are, and there is this debate, there's been this debate on mandates, mask mandates. Uh, other protocols, and maybe there's some changes there. So anyway, so back to Dr. Moore. Dr. Moore is making a statement today. Uh, we're actually, and that's supposed to be at one o'clock. So we'll actually try and carry some of that live for you. And then we're going to speak to an expert uh, after two o'clock about some of the um, uh, statements that Dr. Moore made. We don't know a lot about what he is going to say, whether this is going to be an update, whether it's going to be a change in um, sort of on, Ontario's attitude as a government as to what we're supposed to do in the next few months, we shall see.
because really we've been trying to open up and open up and, and, uh, you know, just even anecdotally, I would just see people all the time. It's, it's, they, there's no masks. It, it's not even down around their chin. You know, it's just, they're not, they're not wearing one. They don't care or, or have had it. So it's interesting to see after the sixth wave finally, and two plus years that we've reached that point where we're, we're kind of done. We shall see. But anyway, Dr. Kieran Moore, uh, we'll hear what he has to say at 1 o'clock, live here on City News 570. Uh, many other things to talk about. Uh, Brent is producing our show today. Brittany Bordelon, Bordelon, sorry, Brittany, is our executive producer today. And Bordelon. Yes. Bordelon. How's it going, Larry? Uh, good, good. And, and I'm, I'm, I apologize. It's Bordelon. It's not Bordelon mm-hmm. or Bordelon. Correct. Right? <laughs> okay. I was listening to you and Producer Polly today. Producer Polly was filling in on the Mike Farwell show. And I was wondering if you guys got any more chat on fondue, which came up on the show today, which, of course, fascinated me because I love topics like that, as you know. How did the fondue chat go? Um, well, firstly, Polly and I learned what fondue was because we had no idea. <laughs> well, I think like we both had a similar of an idea what it could be, but we are definitely not fondue experts, no. Well, ne- well, neither am I, but having said that, it, it was so coincidental because I'd recently been in my favorite uh, well, it's a free plug, Home Hardware. Uh, I love my little Home Hardware, and I was in there walking around, doing a couple of laps just to see if anything cool. Uh, home Hardware, as as you know, Brittany, is where I bought my megaphone mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So they always have interesting things. And they had a fondue set on sale. Oh, okay. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that people <laughs> still fondue because it was all you know, so trendy in the, well, 80s, maybe even 70s. I don't know. But for a while there, it was really, you had to have a fondue set. It sat on the top of the cupboard in the kitchen somewhere and got <laughs> dusty and greasy. And then finally one day you you brought it down, ran it through the dishwasher and had a fondue. And I was like, I should buy a fondue set and have a fondue. And you did, right? And No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do have my limit. It didn't like, intrigue you megaphone. as much as the megaphone, though. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'll I'll pick up a megaphone because I can see a practical use for a megaphone. But I was like, oh, okay, Larry, wake up. When are you going to have a fondue? You're never going to have a fondue. But, but the one we had when I was when I was married and we decided to have a fondue, uh, fondues are really an excuse to ingest wine. That's That's mm. all they really are. They're, they're a long, and, and, and if people want to call me and correct me on this, but it's, it's a long snack as opposed to sitting down and having a meal, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a fondue Kind of like, like a charcuterie one. party, you know? In a way, yeah, yeah, I guess. Except in, in fondue land, you have to make your own food. So the, the fondue that I didn't hear about was the fondue of uh, oil. So you fill your fondue pot with oil, cooking oil, okay. by the way, <laughs> and uh, a transmission fluid. No, cooking <laughs> oil. And, uh, and, and you have a little flame underneath, and you can buy fondue fuel or sterno or whatever it is that you – and you just heat this thing up until the oil is super hot. 
And then you have trays full of raw beef and chicken and shrimp and fish and whatever you want. Oh, interesting. And you, okay. And you and and the, the fondue, and I think this is part of the reason it, it never really caught on, was you uh, everybody gets their own little set of fondue forks. It's like a little spear thing. Mm-hmm. And they're color-coded so that you know which one's yours and which <laughs> one's somebody else's once it's in the pot. It's, a, it's like, see what I mean? It's so complicated. So it's so not just like you, melted cheese. You can do it with like oil and actually like cook the food in there. Yeah, yeah. And some people would go to the point where you would have a little, uh, a batter. You could dip a little chicken oh. in a batter and stick it in the deep fryer. Oh and it was just one piece of chicken. But you each got about three or four little spears, you know, fondue forks. Mm-hmm. And, and and you'd stick it in the oil. And then you chat with your dinner party and mm-hmm. drink wine. And eventually your one piece of chicken was ready for consumption. Wow. So you eat that and then heat up another one. So it takes like to, to have a meal, it takes like six hours because you're there. You're cooking little bites at a time, right? Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, you're serving um, breads and salads and cheese, whatever else they have with it. So that's one fondue is the is the sort of the deep fryer concept. The other one, as you guys talked about this morning, was the uh, cheese, mm-hmm. where you're serving breads and things and anything that will sort of go with cheese. And then the other one is, as producer Polly was correct, chocolate. So you can't have the chocolate fondue. I like that. <laughs> So uh, what what I'm learning here is, mm-hmm. yes, I am an expert. <laughs> you know more than me, but now I feel educated. <laughs> no, so I mean, and and I really thought they were uh, they were gone until I heard you guys talking about it this morning, and then I thought I just saw a fondue set on sale. I, they, I, I don't know, maybe they, you know, pulled it out of the back room from 1978, and they were, I, I have no idea. <laughs> But it was just out there, and I, I almost—I came this close. I thought about it. I thought about it. So it was rather interesting. Now I can't—I can't see the screen. Well, I'll just be honest with you here. So I don't know who's up, up there on the screen. Are they waiting to talk to yeah, us? Yeah, we got Jim on the line here. Let me just click the fancy little button. Jim, right. you're All on right. the air. Hey, hey Jim, go ahead. How you doing, guys? Fantastic. Good, good, Jim. Anyways, yes. Have a fondue every Christmas, and we do it with oil, and we cube up steak and chicken, and then we cut. And then we also have uh, potatoes, uh, onions, mushrooms, and uh, we make a batter. And so you can uh, dip your uh, mushrooms and your onions in the batter, and then you fry it. And yeah, we take two three hours, and we have wine or beer and salads and garlic bread and fondue and yeah we sit there for two or three hours and just just talk and and laugh and just have a great time every christmas well every and you you still do it hey jim great call thanks for the call i appreciate that see that's part of that to me is just the uh the whole dinner experience that i think is sorely lacking and i'm gonna i should ask you but i'll bet phones aren't allowed at the Christmas meal, you know what I mean? So that you're sitting and actually talking and having to look at people and talk to people and then uh, go from there, you know? So, but fond, okay, people still do fondues. I should have bought that set. Now I'll have to order it on Amazon and hope that it gets here in time for my fondue party. I'm not having a fondue party. I'm just kidding. 
I'm just thinking out loud here, but yeah, people still do fondues. The other experience I had that was similar uh, was a long time ago. I don't know if you've ever done this, but a, a bunch of us went to a Japanese restaurant and you order, um, oh gosh, I wish I, I wish I thought of this earlier. I would have looked up what it's called. Maybe you know what it's called, but it, it's, you, you get a, a, basically a large, it's like a walk on your table and it's got the flame warmer underneath. And then they bring you raw ingredients for your, um, it's like your chop suey or whatever, right? So they'll bring you the sprouts and the meat and whatever you ordered and you cook it at your own table. And I believe that is a uh, a traditional method uh, used, in, I don't know if still, but used in Japan a lot. And you could you could get it at some, and, and we did it that way. And it was kind of interesting in that, you, so you could cook little portions as you wanted them and add a little more of this or a little less of that as you went on. And it was all pretty cool, you know? So, um, that was to me similar to fondue in that, Hey, I'm cooking at the table. Not only am I kind of here, but I'm, uh, cooking at the table. So anyway, this goes back to this morning at nine o'clock on city news, five seventy when fondue came up <laughs> on the Mike Farwell show with producer Polly and Brittany Bordelon. And I thought, Hey, I remember the fondue times. <laughs> Some people remember their salad days. I remember my fondue times. I feel like I'm missing I'm out on so much. Like listening to all, listening to all these stories. <laughs> well, I, um, I I don't know about the fondue, but I, I would recommend if you ever if you ever get a chance to do the cooking at your own table thing in a Japanese mm-hmm. restaurant, mm-hmm. it was like super fun and mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I've I've been to one where they cook it for you. I'm not sure what the proper word or what they're actually called, but where the the chef is actually there in the middle and you're at like a table that is in like a big circle around them and they cook. Yeah. What is that called? That's, Uh, it's like, it's, I mean, the brand name is Benihana. mm -hmm. Benihana's was the most famous at that, but I'm trying to remember. um, Yeah. Cause I've been to those. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool experience. And they make you like try to catch the food. I wouldn't do that, but my husband did. (laughs) They're not only chefs, they're entertainers. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're super, super cool and funny and yeah. they juggle and they mm-hmm. and they shoot food at your open shrimp hole. And, <laughs> you know, it's like um, there is a name for that. It's going to drive me crazy. Well, here's another thing you can let us know if, if you've uh, heard of that. Uh, and, uh, well, it's appropriate that at the beginning of lunch we have this food discussion mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see what else is on the menu in just a couple of seconds here. We'll take a quick break here on Kitchener Today, City News 570. Welcome back to the program. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedoric. We were just talking about fondues. And uh, Jim, at a great call, said their family still fondues every Christmas. And they do the oil. If fondue uh, is a foreign term to you, uh, or uh, uh, an unknown or strange term, I should say, I don't think you can say foreign term. That's probably not P. 
PC. Oh, well, well, okay. Uh, before I get off on that tangent, uh, fondue is really a cooking pot and, and, uh, you can put oil in there and cook your stuff at the table and eat slowly and drink wine, or you can put cheese in there. You can put chocolate in there and, and sometimes both Well, not both at the same time. But you know, if you're having the oil or cheese and, and you fill up on all that stuff at some point, another pot comes out with the chocolate on it and you're dipping your strawberries in your you know, peach slices or whatever you got, you want to dip in the chocolate, which sounds like a, sounds like a meal. Sounds like a deal. And then we came up of the, uh, I went to a Japanese restaurant once where they put a big sort of walk with a flame under it, uh, almost at your, um, it's almost like a walk at your table and you got the ingredients cold and raw and you cooked at your table for yourself. And, uh, they would just bring you a new flame or new ingredients as, as you went through the evening. Now the style where you go like a Benihana's it's called teppanyaki. And there's something you absolutely do not need to know. (laughs) And this is my problem because now I know this and it's going to take up a valued part of my brain, which is almost full so in order to remember teppanyaki, I'm going to have to forget something else to make room in my brain for this phrase. Teppanyaki, I think, is how you say it. And that's kind of the, the Benihana style. Larry, I have an idea on something you can, you can forget about. Um, okay. So I, I listened to your podcast last week on and specifically the episode about KFC and how it made you feel. You can forget about KFC and remember this now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just a little plug for your I, podcast because that episode was hilarious. I do a weekly podcast. It's called Later That Same Life. And I do it the way I, it's weekly. So I do it the way I do a talk show. Some topics are serious. Some are fun and some are funny and some are not. And this latest one, it's called KFC, and it's my personal experience with KFC. Here on public broadcast waves, airwaves, I just want to say KFC is wonderful. But in the podcast, I kind of share my personal experience with the KFC, which is not always positive. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to leave it there. And if you want to listen, it's wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Later That Same Life, and I also have a YouTube channel, so there's the there's the full plug. But yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Brittany. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. I was I was in stitches driving home on um on Thursday listening to it. <laughs> well, it was it was fun to do and it's all um ninety percent true, I think is good. <laughs> and um yeah, I mean, week to week, we have uh, uh, I have fun doing the podcast, and the latest one happens to be about KFC, and I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to mention that here in our little food chat, and you're right, I can forget about KFC, I think, for a while, personally, and maybe um, eat healthier, maybe go to a <laughs> um, go to a teppanyaki restaurant or whatever that's... And teppan, by the way, I think it's tepa or teppan stands for plate and yaki is grill. So it's the relationship, you're at the grill with a plate, kind of, it's that they're two together. You know what I'm saying? So that's mm-hmm. what, that's what it is. Well, can we eat on the show? Because I'm kind of hungry now. <laughs> I know, me too. Yeah. All this food talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we won't talk with our mouths full. Uh, at least our mouths will be full of words. How's that for a segue? Uh, we're going to talk after 1230 
with a lecturer from uh, Cambridge. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, Twitter and Elon Musk. And he's on the board of directors. No, he's not. Twitter's changing. No, it's not. We'll talk about Twitter and social media coming up on Kitchener today. Welcome back to the program. I'm Larry Fedorak. I am your guest host today, City News 570. Uh, coming up, we're going to uh, hopefully go live to Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, who has not made a statement um, about COVID or, or any related sanctions, mandates, uh, programs, ideas, principles for some time. And uh, it's kind of a big deal that uh, Dr. Karen Moore is going to be talking today. So we'll try and carry some of that live for one o'clock to get a sense of, of what this is. Uh, by this, I mean the press conference, the latest kind of uh, communication with the uh, uh, citizens of Ontario. We'll see, we'll see what that is. We'll, we'll, um, we'll talk about it with an expert after two o'clock. But we'll uh, keep an ear and uh, let you keep an ear on Dr. Kieran Moore, who is scheduled to speak at around uh, 1 o'clock. So we'll see what that is about. I've been uh, following this uh, saga, if you will, of uh, Elon Musk, who is a lot of things. He uh, is definitely a disruptor. They call him a disruptor in, uh, in industry. And I always thought that was kind of a cool thing to be if you could afford it. And he certainly can. So, you know, it's these, it's these, uh, it's these kind of titles that people get like magnate uh, or uh, mogul uh, once you get certain money. And he's, he's those things, but he's also a disruptor. He's also a disruptor. And part of his disruption is suddenly turning around and buying um, a lot of shares in Twitter to the point where he would be the biggest single shareholder. And he would be on the board of directors. And though he said he was going to be somewhat neutral, he started tweeting up a storm about what Twitter should do, what they shouldn't do. Uh, and and now today we hear that, as a matter of fact, he's not going to be on, on the board of directors. So it's kind of interesting in that way, and also where Twitter is at as a social media. Our guest is a lecturer uh, in strategy at Cambridge Judge University. Uh, Hamza Mudassar is joining us now. Hamza, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, have you been watching um, this, the goings-on with Elon Musk and Twitter, and if so what do you make of it? I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's very interesting. I think uh, Twitter is uh, is like a digital town square, right? Uh, it's a place where people come in and they they you know they have their opinions and they share it. And um, by having Elon Musk sort of weigh in with nearly a ten percent uh, ownership of it, uh, it's bound to change that town square in very interesting ways. Um, I, I recently wrote an article about it on the conversation, uh, which is uh, an, uh, an academic uh, opinion um, website, and I do think that there are there are three very interesting implications of of Elon, um, you know, becoming the biggest shareholder 
on Twitter. The first one is this, that uh, Elon is a, is a big proponent of freedom of speech. And we know that, uh, you know, people say a lot of things on Twitter and they get kicked off Twitter as well. So we do mm-hmm. know, for example, the president, uh, previous president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, is no longer on Twitter. And uh, Elon himself, for his tweets, have, has, been, uh, has been slapped on the wrist quite a bit by the SEC. Um, and so one of the things from, that we can take out of this investment is this, that it fortifies Elon's place um, on Twitter. Uh, while, you know, just having nearly a 10% share does not guarantee that you can sway the whole company your way. Um, the company is definitely going to think twice before uh, deciding if Elon should be or shouldn't be part of the platform anymore. So that's right. Right. So it's like you, it would be very difficult to sanction your largest shareholder, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It will be, it will be, it will be difficult or at the very least there will be a lot more friction in the process. Let's put it this way. Um, Okay. I think the second thing which is quite interesting about this is that Elon for some time has been talking about how social media manages who gets heard and who does not get heard. Um, and they use algorithms for that, right? So we've talked about, a lot of people know about Facebook's algorithms. Twitter right now also uses certain algorithms to promote what you see. And uh, he has long been a fan of making that open source, um, which has implications, right? Um, a lot of these algorithms are about revenue maximization. It's about making sure that you get excited about about what you read and what you see on your social media feed uh, by making it open source. That is, people know how it works. You will also know how what you are seeing is whether you know whether is that truly what you want to see or is that what mm-hmm. the platform wants you to see in terms of maximizing revenues. But it can also open up, uh, at least for Twitter, open up the opportunity to choose. Uh, to choose the type of algorithms that you want, whether it's left-leaning or right-leaning or, or no algorithms for that matter, um, right. and allow you to choose it. And that can, no, again, I, have significant implications in the rest of social media. I, I want to ask you about that because as I'm, I'm listening to this, obviously algorithms, when it comes to a social media, that's that's a company's formula. That is their bread and butter, so to speak. I mean, we're not asking Coke to reveal their secret formula for Coca-Cola or the Colonel for his chicken. You know, that's that's what how they make money. I don't see is it is it that much different in social media that we can we can demand that this be an open source? What's the difference, really? I mean, the the difference is social impact, right? Okay. So, like. Coca-Cola, I mean, you can you, you can choose to drink a lot of Coca-Cola and will only affect your body. But an algorithm which runs on millions and billions of, of users can create social change, social change that can affect entire countries, entire continents. It can change, it can produce regime changes. It can get people fired. There is, it, it, it's, it's a whole different scale. So while I agree mm-hmm. with you that it's a bit of a secret sauce, um, the secret sources implications are huge, and right. um, and yeah, and and that sort of his view of it uh, makes it you know, and making it more open source um, does open up 
the proverbial secret sauce, but opens it up in the in the in the name of freedom of speech. All right. Now that was that was your second point. You said there were three. Yeah, I think the third point is um, the de the decentralization of the internet. So I think one of the things that we do know is this: that there are a lot of there, there are there while there are a lot of companies on the internet, they exist within now uh, a handful of ecosystems. So you know, in in China, it's WeChat, Alibaba. Over in the West, it's Google, it's Facebook. Uh, to some extent, it's Twitter, and and the and Amazon. So a lot of power is sort of concentrated within these ecosystems, and these companies are doing a great job of being orchestrators of it. Um, but what it has done is it has created a power hierarchy within the internet, and Elon with along with Tesla. Uh, has have long been shielded from that internet hierarchy, this power hierarchy, and uh, by investing into Twitter, this is, I would argue, the first time that Elon Musk has has entered mainstream internet platforms. And while he does not, he's not on the board of directors. The investment is 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 just ten percent right now of the company. It does give him access to a beachhead uh, to start disruption. Um, which, which is something that, like the rest of the ecosystem owners, I'm sure are noticing. Like, okay, this guy has put in nearly three billion dollars, uh, and now has a foot in the door. Uh, in the automotive industry as well, he started off with a foot in the door, and he completely changed it in in around ten years. Right. So this that aspect is not very clear what his long term plans are. But the move itself is very, very interesting from that perspective. That he has access to a beachhead now, a small one. Now, I, I want to go back to your first point, uh, where, where you mentioned freedom of speech. I mean, this is a publicly traded company, but it is a private company, and I don't know that. Do you believe that freedom of speech plays into companies like Facebook and Twitter when they're really private companies? If you come into my store, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service. I, I have that right to kind of kick you out of my store. I, I can ban you on Facebook and Twitter, right? It's, it's you don't have a right to be there, do you? I mean, yeah. I mean, you you could say that, but I, I think it is again because these we are talking about size, scope, and impact, right? So right, right. a shop can tell you, you know, that I, I will not, I will not serve you. And it's that's not going to cause a regime change. It's not going to cause all of the other things that can happen on social media, uh, because these are highly networked. Um, yes, they are publicly traded um, companies, and they have the right to refuse service to a lot of people. But they are running monthly active user bases in the in the billions in the case of Facebook, and in the millions in the case of in the case of Twitter, and because they because their impact is that of social movements they cannot shy away from the responsibility that they have on the nature of the business that they run i think that is that is the implication of it um if if the shop that you were running was the only shop of its kind in the country that is providing a certain a one of a kind service that is essential for everyone and you can at 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 a click of a button, refuse to give that. Let's assume it's the water supply, right? It's the right. water supply, and the government controls it. So you know, no one really can be denied water. 
But if it's a private company, you can do it, and they decide to deny you water, and they're the only ones in the in the country who can provide you water. Sh- shouldn't they take that job seriously? And I, right. I think it is that that sort of implication of it that we need to keep in mind. Not necessarily saying that they are um, they're good or bad, or you know, there is an evil intention behind it. I'm just saying that the implications are are dramatic, and for right. those reasons alone. Um, freedom of speech cannot be taken lightly. I mean, you made the comparison there, and I think it's a fair one. But when when um, Facebook was up in front of committees in the U.S. government, the comparison was made to tobacco. You reminded me of it there when you said companies have to take responsibility for their effect on uh, on the public. Not your words exactly, but you kind of said that. Yeah. And that that was we remember that with big tobacco. To, yeah. At some point, tobacco had to own up to what they were doing with their product, how it was affecting people directly. And we're kind of there. Well, we're, we're not kind of there. We are there with social media, I, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like at, at the end of the day, um, excessive consumption of tobacco, um, you know, and social media that can algorithmically and almost unwittingly um, pr- produce and promote information that can that can color somebody's view of the world uh, so dramatically and 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 aggregate aggregate changes that are uh, net net negative for society in general is something that needs to be owned up to and while that was not the original intention it's not even the business model it's the it's a serendipitous outcome of how these things are structured and again i think it is really really important that companies of these this size and scale and scope embrace that because if they don't then every time something happens that compromises the core functionality of a society they can't go back and say well this is not our business or this is not our business model it, well it is happening because of your platform and mm-hmm. so you need to have sort of safeguards in place to prevent that from happening so, uh, and just to kind of capsulize this, going back to the beginning, uh, you see Elon Musk as a disruptor within Twitter, regardless of whether he's on the board or not. Would you feel that absolutely, way? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think the the man, the man is, a, is is definitely a visionary. I mean, he's sending rockets off to Mars. He's completely changed the automotive industry in, in slightly over a decade. Uh, he is a visionary. He's very innovative. He's and he's a force of nature. Um, and he's also the richest man on the face of earth. So mm-hmm. the combination of all of that gives him the resources um, and the insight to to drive things uh, in a way that uh, many of us, even if we were to imagine them, would be hesitant to do it. But in his case, with his sort of resources, he won't be hesitant to do it. He would be more bullish about that. Right. And 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 certainly the, the mentality to continue based or, or combined with the money is is just amazing what might uh, happen. Hamza, a great conversation. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me over. Take care. Uh, Hamza Mudasir is a lecturer in strategy at Cambridge Judge University. We're talking about Elon Musk and his big investment into uh, Twitter. And then the news today that he's not going to be on the board of directors. And I guess as, you know, part of that is the fact that um, – he made a lot of suggestions like Twitter should not have any commercials uh, at all, which is 90% of their revenue at this point. Um, and those commercials, as Holmes has said, based on algorithms, I mean, this is, 
this is the this is the great thing people love, or I should say, people advertisers love about social media. Uh, whereas you don't kind of have to just spray the crowd and hope somebody gets wet. You know what I'm saying? It's like you just throw your your messages out there and hope somebody hears it. Whereas social media can use the algorithms to direct uh, their message at the one person or 10 or a million people, but the person that they find who's particularly interested or susceptible to that message at this point. It's pretty scary stuff. Uh, It's pretty wonderful stuff. I grew up in media and marketing and all that stuff. So it's wonderful from that point, but it's also scary from the point of the individual and freedom and all those, um, uh, all those kinds of things. So anyway, the algorithms uh, and and the revenue, and I, I think it was what I heard mutually agreed that, mutually agreed that, you know, okay, at some point uh, he's not going to be on the board of directors. It is just not beneficial uh, to everybody to have him on the board of directors. If you heard some sound there in the background, that was my fault. Uh, But anyway, the, um, the point is though, he's going to be a force. If he's, if he's the single largest owner, he doesn't have to be on the board of directors to control. So we'll see in the, in the coming days, weeks, months, how social media may change because Elon Musk decided he's going to be in that business as well. This is going to be very interesting. Uh, we'll talk more about this. Take your calls when we return with the Kitchener Today. City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik, back with you on City News 570. You can reach the program, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5745, toll-free or star 570 on your cell. Elon Musk, the disruptor, that's what we were just talking about, and his involvement now in Twitter, uh, quite the uh, the Twitter storm, certainly um, tweeting with the veracity of a Donald Trump. I think there's a fair comparison there, and our guest made it as well. Uh, Donald Trump now not on Twitter, and then I'll start my own social media, and uh, there's some attempt there. Uh, it's if, if you're not already in the social media business, in other words, if Facebook buys an app, which Facebook has done more so than Twitter. Facebook just, um, oh, we like that. That's going to be popular. Let's just buy it. And uh, if you're a developer of a new app or social media app and um, you're, you know, you're in hock to the bank and a bunch of other things because you want to start this thing, uh, you could probably grow it or accept this check right now for a billion dollars you go, yeah, I'll take the check. I think a lot of us would, you know, regardless of how much we developed a new social media or app or any new invention, really, where it's our baby. It's my baby. I, I want to see it. And it's just, no, we're just going to buy it. We're going to buy it and either buy it and grow it or buy it and kill it, but we're going to buy it. And that's what, so to start um, a social media on your own, I'm not saying you can't. I'm, I'm sure the uh, people at MySpace said there'll never be anything better than this. And, and, and here's Facebook. So I think that's tougher to do in today's world. So instead of, anyway, I, I, you know, starting a new social media thing, I think you're, you're Elon Musk. You just, you just buy it. I mean, he started a car company. He started a space company. He started a company that, you know, bores through the surface of the earth. Uh, but I think in social media, a little tougher. So why don't you just, 
buy one or at least a big 10% stake in one and then see what kind of disruptor you can be in that. It's uh, interesting times. And uh, I'm not an expert because I've spent my life in media, but I certainly come to it with that kind of attitude, uh, how it's, it's different and it's not at times. Like, for example, what we've come to call, which we're on right now, traditional media, I think there's always going to be a place for it. Um, I think it's it's can't go away because it's a passive experience. And by passive, I don't mean that you're not mentally engaged or involved. Gosh, I hope you are. But it's you don't have to do anything. Now, certain demographics who grew up with social media and tech, more so than some of us, uh, they don't mind. They don't mind um, that they have to uh, search a menu, go through, you know, try and find their media selection for the day. I like to turn on the radio or the TV and just be fed. And then, uh, which is a little more passive than kind of have to search through apps and you know, pick and click and go on and on and on. It's a more passive experience. And I think people want that. You just, you just want to relax. You don't want to cook dinner. You want just, you want somebody to feed you for a bit. You know, it's, I think it's that. And I think that's where traditional media is always going to fit in. Uh, I think anyway, Rush is uh, calling the show. Hey, Rush, go ahead. Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation. So thanks for, uh, for, for doing it, Larry. And, and thanks Brittany for booking that. I think that, um, I think that Elon's brilliant here. This is sort of akin to the industrialists of of days gone by who would buy newspapers or buy television uh, stations and stuff like that, right? Like Ted, the Ted Turners of the world. Even even recently, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, and that was a move so that he could sort of. I mean, this is questionable, but I think I think it's pretty obvious that you you do those things so that you can sort of shape the narrative going around, right? There's lots of examples of the Washington Post giving Amazon, Jeff Bezos's main moneymaker, very favorable coverage on um, the, the labor issues that they were having and also the, the taxation, the sales tax issues that right, Amazon was, right, right, was struggling right. with. So this is brilliant from Elon because he's not buying, he's essentially not buying a traditional um, media company. He's buying the next generation of media companies. I do understand what you're saying about, about lots of people liking the passive sort of model. Um, and there will always be a place for that, but, the, the true growth and the true way that that narratives and um, that narratives are going to be shaped going forward is through social media, Larry. Thank you. I, I would agree. Rush, thanks for the call, man. That's great. And I, I, I totally agree on the parallel the parallel that you drew between, you know, moguls buying media uh, so they can control the narrative. I, ne- I never really thought of that with Musk, but I, I, I certainly agree. I think that's, that's going to happen. Uh, Dr. Kieran Moore is going to be, uh, having his first press conference in a long time. We're going to carry some of that live and and talk about uh, changes or not in COVID mandates in Ontario coming up after one o'clock. I'm your guest host, 
Larry Fedorik, welcome back to Kitchener Today here on City News 570. Uh, Darren Hamilton is a musician based out of Kitchener, involved with the uh, Waterloo Region Mass Chorus, which which has a release of uh, some, some new material coming out soon, which I want to ask him about. But also, the reason I wanted to talk to Darren Hamilton today, who's also a teacher, he's nominated for Teacher of the Year which is an award they hand out at the Junos. And the Junos are about a month away. They will be in Toronto this year. And um, this is an interesting award that the Junos have taken upon themselves, I, I assume, and we'll, we'll talk more with Darren about this, but one of the things when musicians and actors and people like that hand out awards, people in the entertainment business hand out awards, it's always this kind of thing where um, – you know, why, why do we hold these people up in such high regard when the true heroes of our world are the teachers and the doctors and the nurses and so on and so forth, which is absolutely true. And I guess maybe they said, well, why don't we do a teacher of the year award? And uh, Darren is a, a musician and a music teacher as well as teacher. So we're going to talk to him coming up in about half an hour's time. We are currently waiting on a press conference that was scheduled for one o'clock and these things um, in, in the media business, which we were just talking about one o'clock means one o'clock. Uh, I think in most uh, <laughs> businesses uh, meetings and appointments at one o'clock mean one o'clock and uh, in press conferences, they don't tend to mean that they mean one ish. Right. And so, um, a number of times we've kind of that I've done this where we want to carry something live. We're always kind of like, well, one o'clock or whenever they get around to it or whenever somebody figures out um, where the podium should go and where the cameras are and where the microphones are. So Dr. Kieran Moore is Ontario's chief medical officer of health. And it's a highly anticipated press conference today for a number of reasons. Uh, the two big ones being he hasn't spoken publicly or held a, a public event of this nature for quite some time. And secondly, we're in a sixth wave of COVID, although you wouldn't know it by walking around the streets, would you? Uh, but here we are. And it's almost to the point now where if, and here I am bringing it up, you know, I, I'm the downer. I'm I'm the downer of the part. Oh, way to, way to kill my buzz. You're the buzzkill, man. We we're having a good time pretending COVID has gone away. And you, big mouth, have to suddenly say, remind, well, yeah, I guess I have to do that. Uh, and we'll see if, if uh, uh, Dr. Moore is going to do that. But nevertheless, uh, Dr. Moore's highly anticipated um, press conference. So we'll, it, once they get going, we're going to try and carry some of that live for you and see what they have to say. And then later on, we'll talk to Darren Hamilton about Teacher of the Year. And then at 2 o'clock, we're going to talk to the School of Public Health and health systems at the University of Waterloo to get a sense of what Dr. Moore said and what it means for us here in KW and us here in Ontario as far as moving forward. It's uh, it, it, it's weird to think, but at this point, two years plus into this, that we are actually it's about two years and one month to the day almost because I believe it was March 13th, uh, Friday. Uh, in 2020, 
when declarations of pandemic were made and life changed for us quickly and for um, a long time. So, and possibly forever. So, um, it, it, it's, it's, it seems bizarre to sort of have to say that we need to be reminded of anything. Uh, and I don't know that that's what Dr. Moore is going to be doing, but it seems kind of strange to say at this point that that's, uh, that's where we are. I, I don't know. And as you just heard on the news, on City News 570, uh, we are kind of anticipating perhaps the return of mask mandates which uh, I know now is up to, uh, since Ontario dropped them officially, I think that's been about two weeks, uh, the, it's, it's up to individual stores, businesses, uh, places, all these, it's up to, it's up to that, which to me is always a, a, little, a little tougher uh, because it's not one blanket rule. So if somebody walks into your place of business and they're not wearing a mask and you have a mask rule still in your business, uh, you, you know, you're out was always, well, excuse me, sir, ma'am, whatever it's, it's, it is the law in Ontario. So please, you know, whereas now it's not, and you have to enforce it and you have to, and if somebody just is not want to play nice, then you have to, uh, you're in charge of security and, and all these things. And gosh, we know there are still um, opposite camps. I, I, I believe, um, it's a smaller camp that says, no, we don't need masks. That's, you know, the school of thought that's just, let's, let's let COVID take its course, right? There is a school of thought and I, maybe it's growing because a lot of us now out of, out of fatigue, which I talked about earlier, it's, it's, we, we're like, oh, let it, let it, let it do its thing. You know, I, I'm, poster boy for COVID behavior. I isolate, I distance, I mask, I, I'm, I'm triple vaxxed. I'm, I'm ready to book my fourth shot. I'm all of that. But so even, even me, who's like been super cautious about this at some point I'm going, well, you know, let it ride. Let's get out there. Now I'll, I'll be wearing the mask and I'll be getting the booster, but at some, but I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I made it through that summer and that summer. I don't know if I'm ready to go a third summer without doing anything, whatever that is. So it's, it's the change in, in, uh, uh, attitude. I don't know. I mean, we'll see if something comes out of this. I mean, we, like I said, we're kind of waiting for this one o'clock press conference and now it's, it's like 10 after it's like one twelve. I mean, that's, that's gone beyond one ish. If, uh, if we really like like to hear what Dr. Kieran Moore is going to say, and as I mentioned earlier, we will get some um, expertise on this on this show coming up after two o'clock with the uh, School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of uh, Waterloo. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned watching the Masters yesterday, not because I was particularly interested in it, other than I did kind of want to see the the um, epilogue, well, it's not really an epilogue, but just kind of the closing closure of the Tiger's master story. And it certainly would have been a wonderful story if Tiger was contending after Saturday and we would all, you know, kind of get up to watch the masters and then see Tiger once again, that, that didn't even come close, but he had a, a, you know, a good round as far as professional golfers go, as far as the rest of us go, he had an amazing round, but you know, the field, 
the field was tough. Nevertheless, so I'm, I'm trying to watch this and just get a sense of the masters. And I didn't, I, I didn't feel like maybe because I, I, I've changed my, you know, my love of golf is just not there the way it used to be. So it wasn't as great, but it was kind of cool to see this great piece of property that they call Augusta national and watching all of it. But again, watching it, my point was watching it. It's, they made every attempt to kind of portray it with crowds and even the interviews because nobody had a mask. In other words, I'm accustomed now that when you see maybe a public um, display on the news or whatever, and nobody's wearing a mask, I'm accustomed to seeing that. But then they go to the reporter and the reporter will be interviewing somebody. The reporter usually has a mask or they will have a mask that they pull down to do their report or a specific person being interviewed may have a mask. And even that was gone. No one had one underneath their chin. No one seemed to have one. Maybe they had it in their hand and they put it on right after the camera turned away. I don't know. But wow, it was, it's just to kind of watch world events and see people on the street where it's all, it's almost no one um, with a mask. It's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, yeah. It, it, you almost, you almost feel like, you almost feel like you're being overly cautious. You're being silly because you're still wearing one, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I, uh, I'll tell you what, and have we got Dr. Kieran Moore here? We have, let's see what Dr. Kieran Moore, this is Ontario's chief medical officer of health in his live press conference. First one in a long time. Let's listen. So good afternoon. I want to first begin by thanking Ontarians for their continued vigilance in the face of this virus Thank you for continuing to adopt the public health measures that help to reduce transmission and protect yourselves, your loved ones, and your communities from the severe outcomes of COVID-19. It is clear that we are in the sixth wave of this pandemic, driven by the BA2 variant. In the last few weeks, we have seen an increase in the percent positivity, an upward trend in wastewater surveillance, and a rise in hospitalizations. These trends are likely to continue for the next several weeks, but there are actions that we can take to help manage the impact of this wave, such as layering the personal protective measures we have adopted so well over the last two years, even when they may not be legally required. These include a strong recommendation to continue wearing a well-fitted three-layer mask or use of a medical mask in all public indoor settings. And please continue to respect the ongoing mask requirements that remain in place, including in hospitals, in other healthcare settings, long-term care homes and retirement homes, congregate settings that provide care and services to medically and socially vulnerable individuals, such as children's treatment centers, in shelters, public transit, as well as the federal requirements for returning international travelers. I also want to remind Ontarians that if you test positive for COVID-19, you should continue to wear a mask at all times for five days following your isolation period and avoid vulnerable people in places like hospitals and long-term care. Also for masking, household and other close contacts of a COVID positive case are reminded that they should be wearing a mask at all times and avoiding vulnerable individuals and settings for 10 days. 
while we'll, we will not be reinstating a broad mask mandate at this time, we should all be prepared that we may need to res uh, resume a requirement for mask wearing in indoor public spaces if a new variant of concern emerges, a threat to our health care system, or potentially during the winter months when COVID-19 and other respiratory viruses are likely to circulate again. Vaccination remains one of the most important tools to protect ourselves and our community against the impacts of future waves of COVID-19, and it is critical to stay up to date with your vaccination by receiving all doses recommended. As COVID-19 transmission increases, getting a booster dose if you are eligible, and especially if you are at high risk, is very important. It's your best defense against severe illness, hospitalization, and death. Booster doses save lives. If you've not booked an appointment for your booster, please do so as soon as possible to ensure you are protected against severe outcomes of COVID-19. In addition to vaccines, antivirals are another tool the province is using to manage COVID-19 and are free of cost. Antiviral treatment, including the oral antiviral Paxlovid, can help to reduce hospitalizations, protect hospital capacity, and protect patients at high risk of severe health outcomes. Individuals can access oral antiviral screening tool online at ontario.ca forward slash antiviral screener to help determine if they are at high risk for COVID-19 and its complications and should be assessed for treatment. Individuals who are part of high-risk groups and who have COVID-19 should immediately seek testing and care by their contacting their health care provider or visiting one of the many clinical assessment centres across Ontario. Even if you don't have symptoms, talk to your primary care provider in advance to see if the treatment is right for you in the event that you get sick and have a plan. Healthcare providers can also determine if antiviral treatment is appropriate for patients based on individual circumstances, even if they do not belong to one of the high-risk groups. So as I've said before, the pandemic certainly is not over. We're now in the sixth wave, and the virus continues to circulate and evolve. Learning to live with COVID and the expected rise in COVID cases because of the highly transmissible BA2 variant uh, it is strongly recommended for all of us to, number one, screen daily for any symptoms of COVID-19. Stay at home when you're sick, even with mild symptoms. Wear a mask, especially in indoor public settings. Maintain your vaccinations. A booster dose can save your life. Assess your risk before going out. Antivirals now to uh, determine if they are right for you and immediately seek treatment if you become ill and are at high risk for severe COVID infection. Have a response plan. If symptoms develop, know where you can get tested and how to contact your health care provider. And test if you have symptoms. Maintain access to RAT or know where you can get your PCR testing if you're eligible for treatment. As we learn to manage and live with COVID-19, use the tools available to us continue and this will continue to have um, a critical impact on our health and health of those living in our communities thank you so happy to take some questions dr Moore, you said you anticipated a rise in the
All right, you've been listening live on City News 570 to Dr. Kieran Moore. Um, I said earlier this was a much-anticipated statement that Dr. Moore was going to make. He is Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health and hasn't spoken publicly um, in many, many weeks. So what is he going to say today? And you know how on news, when you hear the person speak and then a person comes on right afterwards to tell you what they just said, what you just heard? Yeah, I'm going to be that guy. (laughs) We'll do a quick recap of uh, what Dr. Moore said, which wasn't much new, but nevertheless, we'll recap it in just a moment when we return with more of Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedora, guest hosting today. And if you're just joining us, uh, we heard live Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, uh, in what was a highly anticipated update because the doctor had not spoken publicly for uh, a number of weeks, which was fine. I, I agreed with that. One of the things that got to me early during COVID and the pandemic was the the almost daily updates from medical officers of health and maybe it's because i watch a lot of news but i would just here's one from new brunswick here's ontario here's the federal and and after a while uh, many of these people scientists i respect their science i respect their genius i just don't respect their communication skills and it was just another kind of boring science update i think a lot of people i think that was part of our fatigue was that there was this constant scientific update uh, you know, and, and so a, a break from that was certainly welcome also because I think for the most case, most of us, we don't know as much as the doctors and the scientists. I'm not saying that at all, but we kind of knew everything we needed to know. Uh, now it was time to talk about something else and even, something else, COVID, even if we were going to talk about something else, but just, just these updates about where your mask and do, and, and, and lo and behold, that's what we heard today. We really heard nothing new. If you're just joining us, I, I, I would certainly wanted to hear what Dr. Kieran Moore was going to say. And he just basically said, we're in the sixth wave. Uh, the, the question of whether or not they were going to reinstitute mask mandates is a definite no. Uh, his words were strong recommendation to continue to wear a mask in public indoor settings kind of added that they were they will reserve the right to change their mind. He didn't put it that way, but you know, like if we have to reinstitute these in I think he said the fall and winter months when we all go back indoors again, then they might. But he certainly didn't indicate that that was imminent. Strong recommendation. Basically said again, vaccinations, get your boosters, said that you know, mentioned that we have antivirals out there now and that you should get tested and you should have a response plan for yourself if you have symptoms or you feel that you are or, or have COVID or you tested positive. So really, that's that's what we've been hearing for two years. So he just kind of re-upped that. Uh, we are going to take a break from this COVID discussion since since there wasn't anything earth-shattering, in my opinion, in that press conference. Uh, We'll take a break from it. I will tell you, after 2 o'clock, we will speak to the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo, just to kind of get an update on on this and what Dr. Moore said. Uh, But we got a good, uh, upbeat, positive story to deal with when we come back. And it is uh, 
a Kitchener-based musician who's nominated for Teacher of the Year. You'll hear from him when we come back. Welcome back. It's Kitchener Today on City News 570. Guest hosting today, I am Larry Fedora. As I mentioned just before the break, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about what uh, Dr. Moore said uh, after 2 o'clock. In our next half hour, we'll talk to the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of uh, Waterloo. And I'm not a sports better, so I am interested in uh, I, I like certain casino games at a casino i'm uh, i love to play poker sports betting mm. so i'm kind of interested in how it all works and uh, I, I know now like we heard today that mlsc signed a deal with the new sports bet group uh that involves all of their all of their teams uh leafs down to argos tfc everybody raptors and and, and I don't know what that means. Why would a, a sports organization sign with one sports betting thing? So does that mean I have to be on that? In other words, I don't get it. So I want to talk, and we're going to do this next hour. I'm going to talk to a um, a sports betting, sports app betting expert on this and uh, get you aligned. And, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe, I'm not promoting it, but maybe I can learn a little bit about sports betting, what it is. I, I, obviously, you can bet which team wins, but there's, that's just the beginning of it. If you're a sports better, there's like tons of other things you can do. So um, I, I want to find out more about that uh, as we get into uh, our next hour. Okay. I, I mentioned at, at uh, a good news story and it really is our guest is based out of Kitchener, a musician based out of Kitchener, but he's also a teacher and he's been nominated for teacher of the year award and it's an award given out at the, are you ready? The Junos. Yeah, the Junos. And those are coming up in about a month's time in Toronto. He is Darren Hamilton, and he joins us now. Uh, since you're a teacher, I have to say hello, Mr. Hamilton. How are you? Hello, Larry. How are you doing today? <laughs> good, good. Um, you're based out of Kitchener. You teach in Brampton, I understand. Is that correct? That is correct. All right, so you're out of Kitchener, your name is Hamilton, and you teach in Brampton. I just want people to keep track of this just in case, or just in case I call you Mr. Brampton or something. But anyway, uh, Darren, tell me about this nomination. Congratulations, first of all. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Yes, I uh, am one of five teachers from across Canada who have been nominated for the, two, the 2022 Music Counts Teacher of the Year Award, and uh, this is an award that acknowledges and recognizes uh, teaching excellence and contribution to the field of music education, um, not just in the classroom, but uh, broadly in the field of music education. How important uh, is it? I, I think I know really what you're going to say, but I want to I hear it uh, to the extent of it from you, uh, the, the teaching of music in class. It seems, it's, it, I mean, it's an extracurricular, is it, or is it more important than that? Oh, definitely more important than, than it being an extracurricular um, music, along with other subject areas that are related to the arts, are very vital to um, the social development of youth and children, and also are very vital to um, the development of um, very 
transferable skills such as communication skills, presentation skills, uh, collaboration skills. And so um, definitely uh, arts education is, is extremely important and should be valued in our society. How did you get into teaching as a musician? What also drove you to teach it to others? Well, I, I grew up uh, being involved in in music education um, myself as a you know, I, I took elementary band and I took um, private piano lessons. Um, to be honest, I was actually originally planning to become a an artist or a songwriter or a producer in the music industry. And um, although I got formal training, uh, music training, it was later on in life that I realized that I had a, a passion and desire for, for teaching and working with youth. And so I took that passion of working with youth and my experience and training as a musician, and I put the two together and decided to uh, pursue a career in music education. Wow. Um, that, that sounds great. And I'm sure you can still do the other things. You can still oh. write, write a hit song there down the road if you want, right? Well, I just, I just did, actually, now that you mentioned that. Um, I also am the director of the Waterloo Region Mass Choir, which is a community gospel choir based in Waterloo. And um, we just released our our de- debut single this past Friday called "Not Powerless," which is a song that was written by yours truly, and produced by co-produced by myself as well. And so um, it's kind of full circle, um, taking this little bit of a a detour to pursue a career in music education, but then coming back full circle to some of the things I really wanted to do when I was younger, and now being able to right. do that work with my my community choir. Uh, I, I did want to ask you about the the mass chorus, the mass choir of Waterloo Region. So I'm glad I'm glad we got there when we did uh, uh, quickly here. So uh, also, I believe a video is still to come, though, right? There is a video that released on Friday, so it's on YouTube. Oh, that right was on now. Friday. Yep. Okay. Okay, because I I saw April 22nd on a note, and I thought something was still coming up as well. <laughs> There is a full EP, uh, so we just released the, the lead single of our, our debut EP, which is called Not Powerless, and uh, that is going to, the EP will be releasing on April the 29th, and our lead single, Not Powerless, just released this past Friday, April the 8th, and that uh, comes along with a music video that released on YouTube. Uh, tell me about gospel, uh, of an interest of yours as well growing up? Um, this was, well, I grew up in a gospel church, so gospel has been part of my, my DNA. It's, um, I was surrounded by it every Sunday when I would go to church, and uh, and I also teach gospel music um, at UFT, so that's another thing that's part of my large portfolio of things that I do. And uh, it's, it's a great um, music that has, um, in addition to it having ties to the Christian faith, there are lots of messages of hope and, and peace and uh, and freedom that are connected to gospel music and are connected to the history of um, the African-American uh, slave experience um, of slavery, um, where gospel music has its uh, its roots from and, of course, has evolved a lot since, um, since slavery. It's interesting. I did, I did not grow up in um, gospel church. I, I grew up in a religious family in church. But when I started to hear gospel, I, I could understand why why many musicians cited it as an inspiration, because it really does just and especially early on, you go to church as a kid, right, and it, it gets a hold of you pretty early, doesn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just the rhythms, um, the, the inspiration, the feeling, um, and again, because of, of its connection to um, slavery and, you know, what slaves used to um, depend on in order for them to cope with the oppression that they were facing was uh, being able to sing these songs of hope and these home, these songs that gave them hope and freedom or hope that they would be able to be free at some point in the future. Um, and so there's that really uplifting aspect to gospel music that um, many people can relate to when they hear it. What about, you know, working with a mass choir? Because now you have the the instruments are the voices and there's a lot of them. It, it, what's the difference in that and working with that as opposed to, you know, playing in a trio or a, a small combo? Well, definitely working with a mass choir. And just to um, clarify, when you say mass choir in the context of gospel of the gospel community, um, mass choir is not necessarily not necessarily uh, a large choir, but it's more so. It can be a large choir, but it's more so the idea of um, bringing people together from various um, different right. communities. Um, so it's the so, church, it's the church mass, right? More so is the, is the reference? No, it, it's actually not the church mass. Um, oh, okay. And, and, yeah, and so in the gospel music community. When we say mass choir, such as, and there's a lot of them in the States, such as, you know, Chicago Mass Choir, um, there's Toronto Mass Choir here in Canada, um, Mississippi Mass Choir. It's the idea of bringing people from different uh, communities together and sometimes even different church denominations coming together to join a community as a choir uh, to sing together. Um, so that's the where the idea of mass choir or the concept of mass choir comes from in the context of the gospel community. Okay. Wow. See, now this is why you're a teacher because I'm learning so much and, and you're telling it so well and I'm learning it. And I'm like, this is fantastic. It's fantastic. But still, it must be a, a different thing working with, you know, voices. And I, I get instrumentation is all of that. But um, yeah, working with voices, I just think is, is amazing when they're the instruments, the main instruments of the music. Absolutely. I think one of the things I've learned uh, throughout my my career working with singers is, um, you know, every singer that comes into the, the choir or into the group, they have their own personality, they have their own their own individual voice, and it's always um, an interesting thing being able to bring individual unique voices together and to produce something that sounds beautiful. Um, when you're able to bring those voices and get get voices to mesh, if you will, with other voices and to blend and to harmonize with other voices to produce a, a lovely sound at the end of the day. Uh, so Waterloo Region uh, Mass Chorus, how do people find the um, music? How do people download it, get it, buy it? Absolutely. Uh, they can visit our website at w our mass choir m-a-s-s choir.ca um, our music is also available um, on all digital channels such as spotify apple tv that's not apple tv apple music itunes right. etc um, you can purchase the download from directly from our website as well and folks can also uh, link to the music video 
as well as our documentary series. We have a documentary video that um, series that we put together as we are recording this EP, and our, the first episode of that documentary series is currently available on YouTube as well. So for individuals oh. that are interested in learning a bit more about the choir and our, our creative process and how we came about uh, recording this debut uh EP, especially in the midst of a pandemic, uh, I would certainly invite listeners to go and check out the docu-series, and the first episode is already on our, our YouTube channel. Wow, okay, how cool. And and getting back to Darren Hamilton, you, uh, how did you get uh, nominated? Is it something you have to apply for? Is it just suddenly you heard one day, I'm nominated for Teacher of the Year this year at the Junos? Sure. Well, the, this particular award is sponsored by Music Counts, which is the um, charitable organization associated with the Juno Awards. And um, in order to be considered for the award, there is an application process or a nomination process. And so I was nominated from my, by my school. And uh, in order to be considered, you have to be teaching for a minimum of five years, and your school had to have been awarded a, a grant by music counts. And so last year I had applied for a grant on behalf of my school to get some new instruments. We actually received a grant from music counts for a class set of DJ consoles, which enabled us to start a new hip hop and R&B course to uh, diversify our music, our music curriculum and to provide um, a course that was going to cater to the needs and the interests of black and racialized students in our school. And uh, as a result of that, um, I, met, I met the eligibility requirements for to be nominated for the award. There was a panel that reviewed all of the nominations that came in, and I was selected as one of the top five in Canada to be uh, considered for the award for this year. Well, that's great. Now, you do you have to be on the red carpet and at the event on May 15th uh, in order uh, to find out, or is oh, that the way it works? Yes. Uh, the, the winner will be announced at the Juno Awards, which are being held uh, at the Budweiser stage in Toronto on May 15th, and uh, I am I'm looking forward to attending the event and, and seeing what the final result is. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, it's, and, and, and I hate to be cliche, but it must be great just to be nominated. I think that's that's probably true for you, sir. And uh, all the best with the award and, and the program and the Waterloo Region Mass Choir. Give us that website again, please. Sure. It's www.wrmasschoir.ca. That's M-A-S-S-C-H-O-I-R dot C-A. All right. Darren Hamilton, again. Good luck, and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Larry. Have a great day. Darren Hamilton is a teacher, musician based out of Kitchener, but a teacher in Brampton, and is nominated for Teacher of the Year. So uh, also working with a Waterloo Region Mass Choir. So if it's somebody in your community or you have access to uh, Darren at some point to get, you know, cross paths, please say congratulations and hello and uh I think it's it's uh, it's a pretty cool nomination, and I'm I'm glad to see the um, the Junos doing a program like this, and I I like and I know the Grammys were on recently. I caught a bit of them. I enjoy Grammys and Junos. I think they're my favorite kind of award shows because they are music, and because it's much easier for them to feature performances. So you're not just watching. Presenter after presenter, award after award, it's it's a, it's a, it can be in the, in the music business 
it can also be an entertainment show that you are watching at which they also give out awards. So I always enjoy the music awards. So, so kind of, kind of looking forward to the uh, Junos and they are May 15th and they are in uh, Toronto this year. And the nominations for teacher of the year, as Darren said, Darren is just one Darren Hamilton uh, is just one of them, but there are five across the country and I'm sure they are all deserving uh, of uh, recognition, certainly that which they are getting through a nomination and uh, the programs, the wonderful music programs that are in in schools, even if you don't, even if you just took cello for that year or two and played in that excruciating Christmas concert, sorry, uh, it was probably very good. Uh, It's still the difference in taking music and not taking music, I think, as you go through the public school system um, is monumental. So kudos to teachers, but kudos certainly to all the music teachers out there we'll talk a little bit more uh, about this uh, you know the year i was at the junos was probably the weirdest experience i ever had and i also witnessed one of the oddest ex- greetings i guess that i've ever seen see if you find it odd i will share that in a moment when we return here on city news 570 I'm Larry Fedorik. Welcome back to the program. If you're just joining us, we talked to Darren Hamilton. He's a musician out of Kitchener, but he teaches music in Brampton, and he's nominated as Teacher of the Year, an award that's given out at the Junos, now annually. And uh, he is going to be there as part of uh, uh, one of five total nominees. See if he gets the award on May the 15th at the Junos in Toronto. And also Darren works with Waterloo Region Mass Choir. So wrmasschoir.ca. And you can get their new EP, uh, watch their new single also on YouTube. And uh, good luck, Darren Hamilton. I've been to the Junos a couple of times. The most memorable time was the first time. And it was so long ago, and I'm absolutely going to date myself here, and I, I don't care because it's it was just so bizarre. The Junos were in Toronto, and it was the uh, year that that Millie Vanilli were there. They may have performed, I don't know, and I know a lot of those TV shows back in the day, um, bands didn't really perform or, or duos, things like that didn't really perform. Sometimes they would just lip sync to their own record. So as it turns out, Millie Vanilli would have been lip syncing to their own song, which was somebody else's song that they lips. Well, we all know the Millie Vanilli story, I guess maybe you do. So Millie Vanilli is there. So I, I have to go to the Junos, but my job is to cover the Junos for not only our radio station, which eventually became 680 News out of Toronto, but back then it was music station. But so I'm going to cover the Junos for them and a network of other stations that were looking for coverage of the Junos. So I'm, I'm going to be all across North America telling people about the Junos. So it's Rogers. So we had one of the first ever cell phones. And this is another dated thing, but I was just reminiscing about this with somebody else the other day. I had one of the first cell phones, completely portable, 
but literally the size of a diehard battery, literally the size of a car battery, and probably weighed about three times as much. And fastened to the top was this receiver with a cord to the battery. And boop, 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 boop. And, and, but it worked. I mean, you could, you know. And uh, this was my live on the spot, no strings, no cables attached, cell phone. What is that thing you're carrying? Cell phone. Oh, what is that? Tell me about that. That's how early in the technology it was. So I'm backstage and I'm in the green room and that's my job is to, so I, I get Milli Vanilli on the air and I get Milli Vanilli on the air and then I turn around and that year, I don't know why they were there. Maybe they were um, on tour and they were close or they were nominated for international star. I don't know what, but, but Aerosmith was there. And bopping around the the uh, green room was the most gregarious individual. Like he was just talking to everybody. Was uh, Steven Tyler? And I'm like, uh, excuse me, I'm 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 kind of starstruck and I'm nervous. But he's like the nicest guy. Uh, sees my car battery, talks into it. You know, like he's talking to people. I'm interviewing him and and. It, and uh, it was pretty cool for me because like, oh, look at that Larry. He got Steven Tyler. Wow, Aerosmith. And it was all just so strange and surreal to not only be back there with, think about this, Millie Vanilli and Aerosmith, but then watching as someone introduced them to each other. And... I don't know why I remember that as strange. Perhaps it's obvious. It is kind of bizarre. And they were both kind of very cordial and respectful of each other's hit songs. Uh, I don't think Steven Tyler was necessarily in awe of meeting Millie Vanilli. I think it was the other way around. But they were kind of cool with each other. And I was like, wow, I just watched Millie Vanilli and Aerosmith hang out for a few minutes. And there may have been other people there. I don't remember. That's what I remember about the the Junos. One and only time going to the Junos, and I always want to make it back one of these years, but I don't know if I could really recreate something as, as strange as that. Earlier this hour, we heard from Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, not much new in our, uh, our COVID attack, but after 2 o'clock, we're going to talk to the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo about Dr. Moore's comments and uh, where we are, what wave we're in, and all that. That's coming up here on City News 570. I am your guest host on Kitchener today, Larry Fedorik. Great to be back on City News 570. Johnny Capo is a movie name, I think. It sounds like a movie name. It's a person. Johnny Capo is going to join us in about a half an hour. He is CEO of Bet Stamp. So as of about a week ago, all this sports gambling and, you know, gambling by app on sports is legal in Ontario. Uh, as an aside, they feel it might bring between $800 million and a $1 billion annually to the government of Ontario. So there's your, there's your plate sticker money. By the way, did you get your plate sticker check? Did you get your sticker check in the mail? 
I didn't think I was eligible. I thought I, that I, that I had renewed for two years pre COVID. And then, uh, and then I got rid of my car. So I thought, well, all right. So that was, that's money gone. And it, it turns out I was somewhere in there, partly eligible. And I got a check in the mail the other day. Um, my brother got a check. Some other people I know got a check and I'm like, oh, I'm not getting a check. And then I got a check. So, I don't know what it exactly buys my vote, but it it certainly can go towards it, uh, Premier. If you want to continue sending checks, I got 180 bucks, so that's several thousands short of what it might take to, you know, we all have a price. I'm just discussing mine at this point, so <laughs> if you will. But, it's, you know, I got a check. I don't know if you got your check, but it's uh, it, I guess it's nice to get a government check. Will it work to buy votes? I don't know. We'll see. But nevertheless, that was a loss of revenue. Now, back to my point is some revenue coming in from sports betting, perhaps for the government. Um, and because it's regulated, uh, allegedly here, that it has to filter through and be licensed in Ontario. Uh, is it all good? Can we count on it? Uh, why do we need so many different sites? Why wouldn't just one or two be enough? I'm not sure. Uh, what kind of sports bets can you make? I'm not a sports better, so I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in all of that. And we're going to find out. Johnny Capo of BetStamp is going to join us in the next half hour. Last hour, about this time, we went live with Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, on a COVID update. And you've been hearing some of the uh, uh, updates on our news here at City News 570 as well. Uh, not a lot new, more on, uh, you know, the antivirals, but no mask mandates and uh, none of that. But, but I wanted to kind of discuss where we are in this. And our guest is an assistant professor in the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo. Zahid Butt is joining us. Hello, Professor Butt. How are you? Hi, Larry. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tell me what you think of this statement today from our chief medical officer of health. There wasn't a lot in it, really nothing new. Just It seemed to me, and I don't know if you agree, it was just the, the usual reminders of what we're supposed to do to get through COVID, correct? So there was this uh, strong recommendation for masking uh, in a way, uh, you know, that was, I would say, a little bit different from what we have heard before. And and then talking about the uh, the new antiviral drug that's that's out there and uh, and especially for high risk groups. So I think that was the two key information that was there in the uh, in that uh, press conference. But your thoughts on this, Professor? Um, strong recommendation is different than a mandate. If, if it's so strongly recommended, why don't you just mandate it? Would yeah, that make so sense or not? Yeah, so that's, so, you know, I was expecting maybe, you know, they would uh, mandate this mask, especially when you're seeing that, uh, it, you know, a lot of, um, uh, you know, the teachers getting sick in schools and and then also, you know, uh, other, other settings where you're, you're now thinking about whether, you know, healthcare workers will be, uh, you know, there will there be a shortage of healthcare workers. So, uh, so a strong recommendation means that the people, uh, you know, it depends on you whether you're going to wear a mask. Uh, it's not a mandate, basically. 
Right. And then keeping in view what you're seeing with uh, wastewater surveillance, uh, you know, 100,000, 120,000 cases, I would have expected that maybe they would say, well, we need to put in the mask mandate again in schools and other other settings or, you know, indoor settings. Um, well, now, they, they reserve the right to bring back mandates at a time if necessary, which, of course, they would always have. I understand that. Uh, but places where they are still um, mandated, like public transit and uh, yeah. hospitals, things like that, those were not removed. Those are still in place, correct? Yeah, so that's good. Like if if uh, you know that's uh, uh, if they are not removed from those places, because obviously you know they are, you know there are places where you can you can get COVID nineteen. But I think in terms of you know public health. It's more of a preemptive approach. So you are not, you don't really wait for cases or hospitalizations to go up before you implement certain measures such as mask mandates. So I think, you know, uh, it would have been better if you could have put in mask mandates so you don't have, you don't see a lot of uh, hospitalizations uh, later on, later on, like means after summer or in fall, because then ultimately you, you would have, if you see those, trends going up, you would have to institute uh, public health measures such as mask mandates or even, uh, you know, limits on indoor gatherings. Where do you stand on these, uh, the former daily and weekly updates, which we don't get anymore, and that why it was, that's why it was so anticipated that Dr. Moore would be speaking today because he hasn't for a while. Is it good that we're past those? You know, I think in terms of... Uh, you know, giving people information, it was good if we if we had these weekly updates because people want to know what's going on. They they want to know what guidance to follow. For example, if the cases are in, increasing, uh, you know, what should we do if the hospitalizations are increasing? So it's good to have these weekly updates. But but so the fact that we're not really getting them. I mean, we're getting them through media reports, but there doesn't seem to be this this officiality that there was previously from government uh, people, right? That's the difference I see. Yeah, so as I said, you know, it's good to have someone from uh, from the province to come and explain certain things to people because, you know, it you know, give them assurance and, and talk about these things and talk about uh, all these, you know, mandates and everything. And I, I think, uh, you know, a weekly, weekly meeting is good. Uh, and I, I don't know, I'm not sure why they were not done, so I can't comment on that, what was the reason behind not having this. Uh, but I think it's always good to hear from, uh, you know, public health authorities that, you know, what is happening and what we can what we can do, basically. So Dr. Moore talked about the strong recommendation of masks in uh, public indoor settings, talked about vaccinations, the importance, but also... Uh, Tell me, Professor, are, are the game changers testing and antivirals? Is that the game changer in moving forward with all of this? I think uh, in terms of what you can do is basically really boost your, uh, you know, vaccination. So for people who haven't gotten their vaccination, they should get vaccination. For people who have their second dose, they should get the third, uh, the, the first booster. And for people who have the third booster, they should be getting the fourth booster. Because what we are seeing now is that we we are seeing waning immunity in the population, and you need to get basically boosted to, 
to maintain that level of immunity. So that's one. The other thing is that if you really want to know what's happening in the in the community, then you need to bring back PCR testing, not only for high-risk populations, but also for other populations, and then act on it. For example, if you're seeing that it, it's going to be a lot of cases, because cases translate in hospitalizations, then you need to put in some public health measures to, uh, to stop it. So definitely, you know, that helps. And also, I would say, like, in terms of uh, when if you're looking for, you know, re reducing outbreaks, then you should be doing contact tracing as well and trying to, uh, you know, trace people's contacts, uh, those who are cases con uh, cases contacts to to stop it from uh, spreading to others. So these are quite a few things that that you can do uh, now that can that can help you in uh, in in preventing uh, further outbreaks or you know surge in cases. What is your feeling, though, on the antivirals? I mean, it really comes down to getting a prescription, taking a pill. I don't even know how often you'd have to take them. But uh, yeah. it, I, I think that's a, a lot. People are more receptive to that, I would think. Yeah, so it would have to. So first of all, it, it, it's the, the antiviral pill is intended for mild to moderate uh, you know, disease. And, uh, and then, first of all, you would have to get a test, basically, for uh, you know to test for COVID-19, and then you you would have to obviously approach your family doctor or some um, you know family doctor to to give you a prescription for that uh, for that med medicine. So um, and it's basically you have to think about whether you have symptoms, and then you contact your doctor, and then you get a prescription to to get that medication. And currently, it's a uh, I don't think it's open for all. It's open for um, high-risk populations. So maybe in the future, they need to open it to, to all the people who have these uh, symptoms of COVID-19 and test positive for COVID-19. Yeah. I, I mean, my guess is that they will. And I'm also wondering, and I, I don't know that you would have this information. I'm just wondering aloud that it might be a case of um, supply at this point because it's early in the game of antivirals. <laughs> I think they would once once supply ramps up and maybe they can start expanding the categories of who's eligible. I think that would make sense. Yeah, it would. But and also, I think it depends on whether there are studies in other other populations as well. Whether it has been studied in other populations as well. So then only can they open it to to the rest of the population too. So it's a supply plus as well as evidence. So they would have to look at evidence as well as supply to open it to the. Uh, to the general population. So that would help in, in terms of preventing uh, severe disease. But from a, from a population level, obviously you, you have to do certain measures such as, as I said, you know, mask wearing that, that prevents you from getting the virus or transmitting the virus. Right. So uh, I, I, and I took today your final thoughts on this, Professor, but I, I took from this today just that it was an, just another reminder of um, of a, from a medical official to us to just keep up the good habits, I guess. Yeah, I do think so. I think, uh, uh, you know, one is to, you know, wear a mask, especially in indoor places that is crowded, and maintain your physical distancing. You know, we have to understand the virus is still here with, with us. It's not that it has gone or been eliminated. So it's always good to have these protective measures as well as getting vaccinated. Uh, because it's still a disease and even, you know, some of the milder symptoms are not that mild, actually. You don't really feel well when you have COVID-19. 
and 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 then of course there is a severe disease as well so we we have to you know follow these uh, some of these measures continue these me- measures even if they are not mandated i would agree professor buck thank you for your time today appreciate it stay well and thanks for having me Larry. you too Zahid Bhatt is an assistant professor in uh, the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo. We were talking about uh, this anticipated comment today by the Ontario Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Karen Moore, which was really just kind of a re-up. It was it was something, uh, it, it, no criticism of it at all. Uh, really, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying that this is uh, something that he could have we just could have ran a, a videotape of him making similar comments from 18 months ago and just played it again today. You know, I'm talking about Dr. Moore because other than the antivirals and the introduction of, of this pill to certain more susceptible groups and that it's going to be out in pharmacies and, and the, the website should have them by Wednesday morning uh, as to what pharmacies are participating and what you have to go through to, to qualify for this. Once you're, already in a group, then you personally have to be tested and then go go see your healthcare provider, your doctor, and, and go from there. So that was the only thing that was really, really super new today. The rest was, you know, you should wear a mask. You should get the next vaccination. You should do, and I, I think that's what they have to do. And I don't criticize it. I'm just sitting here going, we just keep hearing the same thing. Good to be reminded, I guess, right? Good to be reminded that we have to continue to be aware of this. But it just sounded like another, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's, and I'll touch on this in a moment. I'll tell you what, we'll take a break and I'll touch on this part. The, the politics of it, and I'm not pointing a finger directly at our government in Ontario, but at every government at every level across this country and many others, that how much the politics has played in to the way we treat a pandemic and COVID. So we'll get to that and your calls as well, your thoughts, if you want to share them when we return here on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik, sitting in on the show today as host. If you're just joining us, we're talking about COVID. Oh, what a shock. Uh, what's that you say, COVID? Well, okay. Well, we heard from Dr. Moore, our Chief Medical Officer of Health here in Ontario. It was just kind of a re-up of the same old uh, with the addition of antivirals, the pill that's going to be available uh, in a couple of days to certain categories, and then how you qualify to do so. Besides the antivirals, there was really nothing new in the statement. And I get that these public health reminders are good and important. I agree with them. But it really was a strong recommendation that you wear a mask. So not the return of mandates, which a lot of people were concerned about. Are the mandates going to come back? And there's still the discussion, should they come back? Should they be mandated? Uh, That didn't happen. It was a strong recommendation. Uh, Chris is joining the show. Hey, Chris, go ahead. What's up? Yeah, I agree. Um, for the moment, masks should be mandated probably for the next three to four weeks so that we can keep our numbers under control. But you made a comment about <clears throat> how politics has played into uh, COVID. I think yes, sir. one of the biggest examples is how uh, St. John 
I believe it's called Kalarnik's uh, private school in Breslau. Mm-hmm. 400 students, and they get 14,000-plus testing kits. If right. politics doesn't play into that, I don't know, because I can tell you my elementary school, Lackner uh, Public School, uh, only one of my daughters came home with a package, and I have two kids that go there. Those extra, right. uh, oh, let's see, many thousands could have been spread out uh, through the Waterloo District Public School Board rather than going to one private school. And if politics doesn't play into that, man, I really couldn't tell you what. Chris, great call. Thank you for the call, Chris. And I was going to get to that part of it, and so I'm glad you you got there, Chris. Thanks. Because, yeah, the, the, the tests went to private schools, by and large, long before they went to any public schools. And, and the one private school got in, in the region got the most of all the private schools. And yet there was, as Chris points out, there was schools that didn't get enough by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the testing, the way the testing kits were rolled out was really kind of a mess to start with. I mean, when, when tests first rolled out, they, they were available at liquor stores, at the LCBO. Remember that? And, of course, it's not that that's a, you know, it's it's run by the government and it's a distribution point. People are there, so why not? Okay, but it was rather bizarre. Uh, they ran out. Uh, out of the blue, I was offered one at the checkout at my grocery store a couple of weeks ago. It's like, oh, by the way, testing kit. You want a testing kit? And I'm like, what? What is that? There's a stack of them there, you know, like about a dozen, not a lot. I took one. And, and, and this rollout to the schools, which you'd think would be a priority, was kind of odd. Um this the other political part of it is is we got an election looming in Ontario. You don't want to be the the person, and this would this would be any government. I think this would be any government running for re-election, not just this one. Would would want to not be up there and be the naysayer and the bringer of gloom and doom. You don't want to do that. You what you want to say is. Hey, we're almost out of it. Strong recommendation. Let's have some fun. Let's go to go Jays go, whatever it takes to to make your summer. Let's go do these things because we're we're on our way. And that's the message you want to give. You don't want to be the more negative you are, and in some cases, the more realistic you are, the more it's going to hurt your chances. So that's the other way politics is playing into it here, and the way it has in other jurisdictions, other nations as well. Uh, more in a moment here on City News 570. I'm a guest host, Larry Fedoric. I also host a weekly podcast that I do called Later That Same Life. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I have a YouTube channel. If you just search Larry Fedoric or Later That Same Life, uh, you should find my YouTube channel. I did a podcast recently on lexicon, and lexicon is just the uh, vocabulary of a particular sector. So doctors have a different lexicon than lawyers. English has a different lexicon than Arabic uh, lexicons. And how quickly we as a people learn a new lexicon with each major event or story. And I'm getting to a point here, like even the 
invasion of Ukraine, now we know, we almost like we learn a new language. When you say no-fly zone, everybody knows what that means now. We really may have not known or really cared about it uh, a year ago. COVID came with a lexicon. I went on my podcast. I go through a list of words that we've learned since words and phrases that we've learned since COVID started. And it's just amazing. It is. We learned a whole new language. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw one more at you in the COVID lexicon uh, before we stop talking about that. Cause we were just talking about COVID uh, recombinant. I learned this one today. Did you hear this word recombinant? So Omicron is the variant, and then there's a BA1 variant, and then from that there's a BA2, and BA2 is the one that sort of hears the sixth wave, and it's because of BA2, and I'm like, okay, I'm up to speed on that, okay, here's something else I learned now, BA2, all right, Omicron, BA2, and, 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 and part of the sixth wave, so there's a variant of that now. And it's called, of the BA2, a variant of a variant, and it's called the XE, and they're calling it a recombinant. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I have to learn now? XE recombinant? And it just means that its its properties recombine, uh, or the properties of BA2, Omicron kind of recombine to form a new variant that they're just calling XE, and it, but it's a, so that's a recombinant. There you go. Now, add another word to your COVID lexicon. Uh, about a week ago, Ontario officially said, rubber stamped, the government rubber stamped, sports betting, sports app betting in this province. Uh, I don't understand sports betting much beyond the office NFL pool or my team's going to beat your team because I know it's much more complicated than that. And I also was curious as to how many sites or apps, what have you, do we actually need why one would be better than the other and what kind of sports bet I could make. And I wanted to find out more about that. I was hoping you were curious as well. We could share some information here. The CEO of BetStamp is Johnny Capo, who joins us now. Hello, Johnny. Hey, how are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on about this. So BetStamp, is is this an app or a site that's available in Ontario? Is it one of the ones? Correct. So um, just off the rip, BetStamp is not a sports book, so we don't accept wagers. Uh, what we do over at BetStamp is we help people uh, find the best sites to bet on. Um, and you mentioned off the top, you know, why are some sites different than others? So you come to our site, you can compare the different odds between sites, the different features, um, and then we help you manage everything to do with your sports betting accounts and different sites. So that's what we do. We don't actually take the bets, but I'm happy to answer any questions on the market right now. And I'm happy you're uh, interested to learn. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, that, that's cool. And that's what bet stamp does. Thanks for clearing that up. So first of all, why do I need, uh, other than, I guess, you know, why do you need several products shopping variety? Why, why do I need several sites or, or apps to do my sports betting? Why don't I just need one or two? For sure. So the answer is, you, you know, you really only need one if you want to bet. And, uh, you know, you could deposit your money into one specific site, place all your bets there, and, you know, you can have some fun doing it. But if you want to be a little bit more serious about sports betting, 
um, the best value thing you can do is open multiple different accounts, you know, up to potentially even six or seven. If you're super hardcore, you might open, you know, all 40 or 50 different accounts available in your region. But, uh, you know, the main reason you want to do it um, it's actually twofold. Number one is you can save a ton of money by shopping around the different prices. I'll give you an example here. Uh, you know, let's say you wanted to bet on, uh, you know, the Raptors to win the playoff series, you know, versus 76ers. You know, some sites you might take a look and your $100 bet, you know, if you, the Raptors win may return $400 on your regular site. But if you shop around, you might find one betting site where your $100 bet's going to return 550 so it's the exact same bet, you know, on the Raptors to win their series. Um, but one sports book is paying you back 400 and the other one is paying you back 550. And these, this is really just because each sports book has a different odds provider, a different odds set is what they call them. Um, and in doing that, you know, they have to manage their own sports book as if it's a business. So if they're heavy on one side or light on one side, they may adjust the line to entice some additional bets. And you, as a better and as you know, a user of multiple products, can take can take advantage of this. Now, in a casino, and I'm I'm familiar with casino games. The only casino games where the house takes a rake, I believe, is um, poker. Otherwise, you don't pay to play. You you, it's your money's on the table, and 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 you win more or you don't. Is there a fee when I'm using a sports app or a, a sports betting site? So within each within each sports betting site, um, you know they will lay they will hang a line is what they call it. And you know, you, let's say you know you have the Raptors or you have the 76ers. Um, assuming that game is a 50-50, you will have to pay a slight juice or vig is what they call it in the sports betting industry. Right. Um, and what this is is essentially a rake like a casino. So the rake is a, equivalent in the standard sportsbook industry to 4.55 percent per bet. So every bet you place, you are in, in essentially paying 4.55%. However, if you open up multiple sports books and you shop around, in some cases, you know, in, in almost all cases, you can get that commission, that VIG, that rake that you pay down to zero. Okay. And because this is regulated, it's government approved, and I, I assume that any place that has these, there's some sort of license required. But is there a guarantee then that if I win that $550 on that Raptor bet, that I'm getting that money? Or, or is there any chance it would ever just sort of not be there? So I'll give my honest opinion. In the, in the past uh, within Canada, you know, you were still able to bet on sports. It was never illegal to do so. It was just illegal to, to take bets on sports. So, you know, to be the betting site, um, you know, was a little, little bit of a gray area. And in that gray area, there was no regulated, you know, governing body to su supervise this. So if you had won a bet with somebody or with a sports book or with a site and they said, you know what, no, we're not going to pay it out, you had nowhere to go. In the current space, um, you know, nothing is 100% guaranteed. However, you know, it, it's pretty damn close to it. So because there is a governing body, all of the companies that are licensed, um, you know, if they don't pay you out or if you have a dispute, you can now take that up with the proper, um, you know, with the Gaming Commission of Ontario, which is the, the AGCO, the same, you know, company that would run, or I guess we can call it a company, the same body that would run, you know, the alcohol and the LCBO and stuff like that. So you can now launch a formal dispute, there's a process in place, there's a mediaries that are, are going to be able to solve that for you. So the chances of you getting paid out or solving any dispute are, you know, near 99.9% .9 now, whereas in the past, uh, you know, it, it wasn't the case. 
Right, right. So that's there. That's good to hear. And I, you know, frankly, I imagine among the betting community, word would get out pretty quick uh, about sites that are better than others. Or, you, you know, if, if anybody was, wasn't playing fair, I'm, I'm certainly that would be widely known very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, a ton of different forums. We've got a, a few different communities on our platform. We've got a, a really big Discord community where, you know, we share back and forth stories, you know, about different sports books, um, you know, things that are going on, different lines, different promotions. Um, so, yeah, word gets around super quick within the space. Right now, it's, it's a huge growing industry within Ontario and soon to come to the rest of Canada. Um, we're, all, we're all happy and we're all ready for, you know, the playoffs to start. You, you know, you, you got the Jays kicked just started now you got the raptors entering the playoffs the maple leafs have clinched it's, it's a good time in uh in toronto area especially all right so um i always avoided the sports book at at the bricks and mortar casino i'm more of a cards individual so i, I don't know about the sport what kind of sports bets can i make as uh, you know differently than my team's going to beat your team are there all kinds of other bets i can make you can make a bet on almost anything right now. It is really crazy. And some, some of the different sports books actually allow you uh, to request a bet. If you, if you see something you want to bet on that's not listed, you're able to kind of request that in. Um, but the oh, wow. bet would range, like you said, from, yeah, I want my team to beat the other team. Um, you obviously have, you know, the, the handicap within there. So the different point spreads, you can do your team to win or, you know, win by a certain amount of points or lose by a certain amount of points. But the really big stuff right now, which is garnering a lot of attention, is the specific prop bets. Uh, prop bet stands for a proposition bet. It's typically a smaller bet on something you know more egregious to happen. So you can bet on you know in a basketball game a player to get a specific number of points or to get over under a certain amount of three point shots made. When you look at hockey, you can bet on you know Austin Matthews to score the first goal of the game, or you can bet on him to score in overtime. There's a ton of different options, um, and it really makes it a lot more fun for the average better where they don't just have to bet on, you know, this team to beat this team. Um, you can bet on really anything nowadays. Wow. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the prop bets because they come up all the time at Super Bowl because the prop bets on Super Bowls are, are crazy. You know, the, on the coin flip, who's going to call the coin flip? What, what might they call? How long is the anthem going to be over under, you know? And, and uh, I don't know if it's that crazy in regular stuff or if you can request a wacky prop bet, but uh, you know, the proposition bet is there. That's good to know. Yeah. So the Super Bowl is the king of prop bets. You know, you're going to have and sometimes upwards of a thousand bets offered uh, at certain sports books. Certainly, if you if you have accounts with multiple sports books and you're able to shop around, then you're, you're definitely getting upwards of a thousand options to bet on um, within the regular, you know, football season, NFL, you do have typically more. Within hockey, there's, there's probably about 100 to 150 things to bet on uh, per individual game. Uh, can I bet uh, tennis and golf and cricket and horses? Yeah, so um, the so yes to all except for the horses. Um, they are still going through some regulation for horse race betting within Ontario, within that space. There are plenty of sites that had offered it within the gray area, but in the licensed regulated market, uh, we are still uh, about a couple months away from what I'm being told from the horse race, traditional horse race betting. But yes, rest of the sports, uh, you know, there's, there's table tennis, there's, there's even, you know, you can bet on, um, you know, certain political events or, you know, the, the Oscars, for example, you know, who's going to win um, certain mm. awards. 
for these TV ceremonies. So yeah, it really does range, you know, almost every single sport is offered. You have some sports books offering even, you know, minor hockey, such as, um, you know, OHL and different leagues like that as well. Yeah. Is Kabaddi on there? I would <laughs> just throw it, throw a curve at you. See if you know about Kabaddi, but what, how do you spell that? Sorry. I think it's K I'm trying to remember now K A B A D D uh I it's a it's a huge game in parts of Asia. It started out as a playground game and now they fill stadiums. It's played on a court. It's a bizarre I, game, but anyway, I, I I'm sidetracking you there. I've not seen it yet in any Canadian sports books, but I'm sure then, you know, if it if it is big in in Asia, then I'm sure some uh, you know, sports books over there would have it. Didn't mean to throw a curve at you there, Johnny. I just—I only no, heard no about worries, the sport no recently. Look it up and figure out what it is. It's mind blowing. You have—you actually have to uh, chant the word Kabaddi. The well, okay. It's—I'm serious about this. Look it up, man. I think you'll enjoy it. Nevertheless, so Bet Stamp again will help me manage all of this. If I want to get into it in a in a bigger way, I can use uh, a place, a site like yours, to kind of manage all of it, as you said. Yeah, so as mentioned, you know, every sportsbook has slightly different odds. You know, I'm betting on the Leafs. Let's say I'm even betting $10. One site's going to return me, you know, if, if my bet wins, one site might return me 20 One site might return me 24 It only seems like a little. Right now, it's, it's 4 bucks, But you compound that every single day, and then that's for a $10 better. You know, if you're betting 100 or $1,000, um, you know, it's really adding up. So what BetSam does, we're almost like a kayak or, a, you know, a Trivago, but for sports betting, where we take the prices from every single sports book and display them within our site um, and within our mobile app, which you can download. Uh, it's just called BetSam on the App Store or Google Play Store. And um, what we also allow you to do is track all of those wagers automatically via a syncing technology we've built. So essentially what happens is you sign up for an account with a specific sports book. You connect that sports book account to BetStamp. You might connect two or three accounts. And then what happens is now whenever you want to place a bet on the Leafs, instead of going and checking each of those sports books individually, you come to BetStamp. We tell you where the best odds are. You click through. You go to that sports book, you place your bet, and then the data automatically syncs back into BetStamp. So now you've got your wagers all tracked. It automatically shares it with your buddies. You can add it to you know, a group chat or a group within the app. Um, and now you can have a lot more fun betting and save a little bit of money because you're able to use multiple sites uh, um, at once. It sounds genius. It really does. Uh, I, I've learned so much today, Johnny. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me and have a good day. Johnny Capo is the CEO of BetStamp. So I, I did, and wrongly so, I assumed it was another betting site, but that's even better because now that guy uh, kind of has the big picture of it. And I did know about some like prop bets only because of Super Bowl because that's kind of one of the things you talk about Super Bowl. You talk about the who's going to be the halftime show and, and the games certainly and uh, the commercials and the prop bets, because they are so wacky. As Johnny said, you can have up to a 1,000 prop bets, proposition bets, on the Super Bowl. It, it, everything, as I said, from how you know how long, uh, you know, so-and-so singing the national anthem. Are they going to uh, mess up a lyric? Uh, okay, uh, yes, they are. I got 50 on that. Uh, will it be under three minutes, uh, uh, over two? Like, I got 50 on that, or I got a fiver on this. And, the propets just go on and on and on. Um, when you know, uh, you can bet on words the announcers might say. Uh, when 
you know, when the name Tom Brady is going to be uttered first in the, you know, it's like crazy. So you can make some of those prop bets in now in Ontario. And this is not to, by the way, promote uh, gambling. Cause I know somebody's going to say, Oh, they're just promoting more gambling. Uh, I do have a problem with that, with the, with the, uh, with the promotion of gambling and, and the government being involved in that uh, outside of a regulatory body, which I, I get it. Like there is, there is a process uh, where if the money, if they don't give you money, you owe, at least there's a process, but there's always that process. You know, I saw a story today, uh, uh, the post office lost a woman's uh, eye watch and she didn't have the extra insurance. So they said, well, we don't owe you anything too bad. And she had, there's a process for the post office. There's a process. If you buy it, something at a store and you go back to that store and you deal with a retailer, there's always a process, but it's always long and there's no guarantees. So there's no guarantee with online gambling, sports gambling, that you're going to get money back if it's suddenly it's not there that it's supposed to be, but at least there is a process. So I have no problem with the government being regulatory. Uh, and I, I don't mean to promote it. I'm just trying to understand it, I guess here and talk about, um, sports gambling uh we'll talk more about that wrap up get some of your thoughts when uh, we return in a moment here on city news 570 great discussion if you're just joining us that we just had with uh, johnny capo of the bet stamp he's their ceo and it's kind of the um as he said, uh, the kayak or the Travago of sports betting. So they're a site where you can kind of gather uh, all the, or look at all the different sports betting sites and make your decision on price and everything before you actually go in there. That, so that's, that's interesting that, you know, as soon as you hear, it always fascinates me. You hear about a business uh, or an opportunity that involves tech, there's always the next one up from that, that kind of services and you go, oh yeah, that's cool too. So we have number one, we have, um, you know, for example, travel, we have online booking and we have this and that. Oh, well, what if we had a site that just organized all of that and then you you went there first and then, and that's kind of what they do at BetStamp for sports betting. It's um, interesting. Of course there should be that. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? Now, uh, I, I'm only missing, you know, the tech knowledge and the investment capital and, uh, you know, a lot of the hardware. But uh, beyond those minor issues, I could have thought of that and been doing that. Yeah. I mentioned Kabaddi to Johnny, and I, I'm not going to even get into how I know about the game Kabaddi, but I kind of do. And it's sports in general fascinates me. And I get that. You know, and people have done it before, where if you have to explain the game of baseball to someone from absolutely never heard of it before, it would sound really ridiculous. And so would um, football and a lot of other things. And I get it. But, but And they are ridiculous. If you think about it, we're fascinated with ridiculous th things. Kick this ball over there in that big net, but there's a bunch of guys going to stop you. What's the rules? You can't touch it. You just have to kick it. Okay. Uh, can I hit it with my head? Uh, okay. But not. So on and on. Kabaddi is huge parts of Asia. And it was a high school, not a high school, but a, a playground school game for years. And then it just developed. 
And the quick explanation is it's on a court, looks about the size of maybe a basketball court. Courts cut in, not cut, but divided in half. And you have offense and defense. So when it's offense, one guy from one team has to go across the half line and tag out as many of the other players as he can. Just tag them out. But he can only do it while with one breath. So how do you know he's only taking one breath? He has to yell, kabaddi, 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 kabaddi. The entire time, he's trying to tag the other players, and they're trying to avoid him. And if he goes, kabaddi, 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 then, then whistle blows, you took a breath, you're out. I mean, the, and then the other team tries. It's, I mean, they're scorekeeping, and it's more, obviously, there's more to it. But that's the basis of it. And I'm like, wow. And you guys feel stadiums? Absolutely. Arenas and stadiums packed. And, you know, soccer all over the world, not in Canada, that's changed finally. Cricket all over the world, not quite in Canada. You see it played, but it's not, you know. So Kabaddi is probably after cricket and when it's going to catch on in the rest of the world. <laughs> but it really is something to witness. And you could probably sports bet on it. I'm not sure. Anyway, thank you, Kitchener, today. Thank you, Brent, for producing. Uh, Brittany uh, Bordelon for executive producing here on Kitchener today for your Monday. I'm Larry Fedorik, your guest host. Thank you to City News 570. We'll talk soon.